That was wonderful. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. By the way, uh, Olivia, where's Olivia at? Oh, she's right there. Was that Dr. Ree's violin? Uh, Just wasn't that beautiful to hear that? I think Dr. Ree gave that violin to her. He played it for years. He delivered you as a baby, correct? So he had an investment in you. What a blessing. I thought of Dr. Ree and uh, of Lila while I was on this trip, flew into the first leg of the trip. I flew into uh, Incheon Airport there in Seoul, South Korea. So, of course, I had to think of Dr. Ree and then being in the Philippines, thinking of Lila and what a, what a blessing the Spicers are here. And uh, so just it was really wonderful. All right. I got to try to focus on my sermon now. The, where we are in the book of Acts, it just fits so well with, with what I got to see this week. And I'll, I'll tell you what this, this week at the conference did for me, um, that Spiritual Leadership uh, Asia Conference. The, they talk about the 1040 window. So that's 10 degrees south to 40 degrees north. There are 5.4 billion people that need to be evangelized. Many have never heard the gospel. And so that's the heartbeat behind this this conference, this missions movement. And just think about that. 64 different countries represented in this meeting, and they all need the gospel. And I don't know about you guys, but I can get so sidetracked in my thinking with politics or with the, with the economy, um, just our, our day-to-day life. And how many of you, you know, you're working hard, and if we're being honest, you're a little tired today. Would you raise your hand, any of you? You're just, just, you're just a little bit tired. I know. I know. And I think that our, what did Jesus say? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the idea of our coming together in church is for us to to share our burdens, but also to share our vision, to share the labor, to be taught, to be trained, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be motivated, to be to be uh, uh, put together in groups to accomplish more than we ever could individually. And of course, that's the heartbeat behind discipleship. And where we are in our text, if you look at Acts chapter one, and remember what it says, Peter stands up in verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of his disciples. And what he starts talking about is how that the, the Bible had prophesied that Judas would uh, uh, betray Jesus Christ. And so the Sunday before last, our last time together when we were in the book of Acts, we looked at the life of Judas. Is there anyone here who did not hear that message on Judas? Would you raise your hand? You did not hear that message on Judas. You need to go to our website and listen to that so that you understand where we are in the text. Very important message in in this account. So now look at verse 21. Wherefore, of these men which have companied with us, all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, So what's happening, verse 20, for it is written in the book of the Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein and his bishopric let another take. So what was his bishopric? His apostleship. All right. Now Judas's apostleship has been forfeited and now they're going to replace him. Lord willing, next week, 
I, I'm gonna, I want to bring a message and really break down why did they choose another apostle? In Acts chapter 12, when the apostle James is beheaded, they don't replace him. Why did they replace Judas? Should they have replaced him? When they, when they cast lots and voted in Matthias, should they have done that? We're going to look at all of that next week. I want us to get some practical lessons about discipleship from this text today. So again, verse 21, wherefore, of these men, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, that's the ascension, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Lord, help us as we study this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we're looking at here, uh, we'll look at why the apostles replaced Judas and and how, but today we will look at the subject of discipleship from this text. So we're beginning our new discipler training session tonight. And just so you can know how important discipleship is at Grace Baptist Church, for these next five weeks, that's what the Sunday night service is going to be, discipleship training. Because there's only so many hours in the week, and where can we find the time to do this training for this large number of people that have been discipled, well, that's what we will do on the Sunday evenings. But this ministry of making disciples is the only reason that this church exists. That's why we are here. And so it's vital that all of us see from this text and from the the uh, example of the apostles what kind of disciples we are to be. So the title of my message today is Apostles and Disciples. Apostles and disciples. Uh, Number one, we are basing our discipleship ministry on Christ and the apostles. So the, the example, the teaching of Christ and the apostles, including the apostle Paul, that's why we do ministry the way that we do. Uh, when I was teaching, um, I, my session was on how to teach Baptist distinctives. And I was talking about my ordination and how Keith Kaiser, my Bible professor from college, uh, came to Grace Baptist and when all the pastors were in my office questioning me to make sure that I was uh, ready to be ordained, one of the questions he asked me is, what are the two ordinances? And the ordinances are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Well, why are they called ordinances? Because these are uh, things that were ordered by the Lord Jesus Christ for us to do. And he said, is foot washing an ordinance? I said, well, no. Why not? Because Jesus didn't order it to be done. So then we went to the book. Of, he said, well, what about John? We opened up a gospel of John where the, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And then he said, do this. And so he asked me, he said, okay, so Jesus ordered it. Why don't we do foot washing in the church? And so, you know, I'm 33 years old. I've studied my Bible doctrines notes so that I can answer all of these questions. And I'm being very formal, very important. And I said, I don't know. (laughs) And so Brother Kaiser just laughed. And he said, because it wasn't instructed by the Apostle Paul or the church. Remember, to Paul were revealed the mysteries of the church. So the way that we function as a church is from the teaching of the Apostle Paul. And Dave McCracken, who you all just got to meet, he said, that's what I was going to say. He was not. He's a liar. He didn't know the answer to that at all. 
But it was fun telling that to the preachers because there's a lot of confusion in churches about church doctrine. How is a church supposed to operate? And it's through the the writings and the teachings of the Apostle Paul that we learn uh, what we are to do. And so when we learn about discipleship and how to do discipleship, we learn primarily from Jesus and Paul. Jesus training his apostles and then Paul teaching us how to make disciples. And so what a disciple is, is, okay, so hold your Bible, keep your place here in chapter 1, look at chapter 2 in verse 42. So this is the, the, the early church, right after Pentecost. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So what we see here is that we as disciples of Christ are continuing in the apostles' doctrine. The apostles gave us the doctrine. We continue in that in discipleship. So we are basing our ministry on Christ and the apostles. So now go back to chapter 1 and look at verse 21. I like this part. So how are they going to choose a new apostle? Where are they going to get this man from? Well, verse 21, Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Now, I, that just that thought of Jesus coming in and out among us. And the Apostle John said it this way, that which we have seen with our eyes, that we have, that we have held with our hands. They, they saw Jesus, they touched Jesus, they interacted with him. And so these apostles had to come from this group that had begun with the baptism of John through the ascension of Jesus Christ when Jesus was taken up. But I love this part of it. So one of the key components of discipleship in verse 21 Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us. Listen, folks. One of the key components of discipleship in chapter 2 and verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. One of the key components of discipleship is fellowship. And let me just tell you, I love ministering with you guys. Now, how many of you have noticed that I'm not the best at coming to parties, and how many of you have noticed that, right? Why? Why? I am the worst person in the world at small talk. I'm, some of you are great at it. Man, I'll, sit and I'll listen to you guys talk about the weather or, you know, some sports team or the color of the carpet. You guys can just have a conversation about that. I am terrible at it. And what can happen is somebody might think that I don't like being with you. So like when my family gets together. So Josh and Lydia and Silas and Jacob and Amanda, and we're all at the house together. It is so fun for me. I basically just sit there and listen to everybody else when they talk. And it's my favorite thing in the world. And even though I don't always have a whole lot to contribute, I remember one time I was with Lydia, and I was trying to think of what to talk to her about, so I taught her the seven dispensations. <laughs> I promise. That I, I can't do small talk. It's just not there. I don't know how to do it. It's terrible. I can sell you something, or I can teach you something. After that, the conversation's probably going to be over. 
But because of that, you know, the Bible says confess your faults. I wish that I was better at that. I don't know how to fix it. But you might think that I don't like being with you. That's the farthest thing from the truth. And many of us, the, the, the friendships that we have are right here in this room, in this building among God's people. Now, many of us also have friends outside of here, but that's a different kind of friendship. We are serving God together. The camaraderie that I love seeing these guys on the front row. I love seeing The girls are okay, but I love seeing these guys on the front row. All, all of you young people. And to watch you all hanging out. The other day I had to ask Nikki Spradlin something. And I had to pull her away from three or four other ladies that, that were having a really fun interaction and conversation. Um, so like when we don't have the Sunday evening service. I hope that you all still get together. Come to the church. Use the building. I don't care. Just we need to continue being together a key component of discipleship is being together. One of the other things, you know, that who have accompanied with us, continued in the Apostles' Doctrine and Fellowship, one of the key components of discipleship is the friendship that comes from it. So the guys that I have discipled, that I've spent years discipling, those guys become close friends. What are you laughing about, Andy, over there? It does take years, doesn't it? Yes. That's because you talk too much. That's what it was. It wasn't me talking too much. For a guy that can't do small talk, it takes me a long time to get through discipleship, doesn't it? Yeah. But these relationships become lifetime friendships. It's so fun. Sometimes you'll you'll see couples that we put them together for discipleship. They end up going on vacations together, taking trips together. And just, now listen, if your discipler doesn't take you on vacation, it doesn't mean they don't like you. But I'm just saying it's, it's amazing how these relationships, they, they start to be built and it, it, it becomes more than just somebody I go to church with. This is someone I've studied the word of God with. The Tuesday night prayer meeting that takes place. And I, I didn't even know what was going on. I came in one day, there's a bunch of cars in the parking lot and it's just men in our church that are getting together. And that started with discipleship relationships and and, and it grew out of that to men that just want to pray for the ministry and pray for missions and what an amazing thing that is. And so one of the reasons that you ought to get involved in discipleship is because of the camaraderie that happens. I was talking to Paul Chapel. I was getting ready to leave for the airport on uh, Friday morning. And he asked if I enjoyed it and all of that. And I did. And he said, what did you think of the other guys? So all these speakers. So I knew some of them, most of them I didn't really know very well. I said, it's funny, we started out meeting each other, and by the end of the week, we're all busting each other's chops, you know, just making fun of each other and doing all that that guys do. And that camaraderie of even the teachers, because you're just bleary-eyed, you're so tired. You start at, the, the, you start at 7.30 in the morning, and you get to bed at 12.30 at night, and it's just ministry the whole time. When you're in the trenches with somebody like that, it builds something. You know, some of our military guys or firefighters, police, that, that camaraderie that those guys have. That, that's what ministry does too because we're laborers together with Christ. We're, we're soldiers of Christ. We're warring a good warfare for the Lord. That's what discipleship does. 
And one of the things we learn from the apostles is just what that togetherness means. What a wonderful thing that it is, that, that fellowship aspect of it. So, first of all, the, the, we are in this together. Secondly, we can't be apostles. Amen? I, I like it what it says in, uh, in Revelation chapter 2. Jesus is commending the church at Ephesus. Because thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. If somebody tells you they're an apostle, they're a liar. Right? Judas was replaced. James wasn't. The apostle Paul was one born out of due time. There are no apostles on earth now. Right? Well, their bodies are, but they're dead. Right? So, really important. We, we can't be apostles. We can be disciples. A, a disciple, let's look at our text, verse 21. Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, and look at what an apostle had to be. Beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So an apostle had to see the resurrected Christ. So then how could the apostle Paul be an apostle? Because Jesus revealed himself to him in a very special way. So none of us, none of us have been saved the way the apostle Paul was. That's a very unique situation. One as one born out of due time, and we'll look at that here in the future. So we we cannot be apostles. An apostle is one who must have seen, witnessed the resurrection of Christ, and then he must be a witness of the resurrection of Christ. But what are we supposed to do? So get two passages. Get Luke 24 and get 1 Corinthians 15. Have you all noticed how many times we've gone to Luke 24 in this study? So Luke 24 and 1 Corinthians 15. So again, after the resurrection of Christ, Jesus has met with the apostles in verse 45, Luke 24, 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might under, understand the scriptures and said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. So the message of the apostles, it changed from the kingdom of heaven to this message, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they were to be eyewitnesses of the resurrection in order to be an apostle. In order to be a disciple, we must be witnesses of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So what we are to testify of is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're not apostles, but we are disciples. Apostles had to be eyewitnesses of his resurrection. Disciples must be witnesses of his resurrection. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And so here's my question for you. Are you a witness? Are you a witness? 
Listen, we have to tell people about Jesus. We have to. How many of you believe? How many of you really believe in heaven and hell? Would you raise your hand? And when I saw that train wreck up in um, uh, Palestine and and the fire and, and the plume and all of those things, how many of you that really bothered you for those people, what they were going through? It's horrible. It is horrible. And the, the, the train company and our government, all of those people failed us. It, it, it's horrible. And, and you can get so worked up about it, and you should. Those things should not happen. Um, but I can't do anything about that. What about people that are going to hell? To the, the hellishness of that, of that accident, when you saw that, the fire and the plume and all of that. Imagine living in that for eternity. Hell's worse than that. It's worse than that. And of course, we don't only evangelize to save people from hell. We want people to know Jesus. Right? I mean, it, what's better, escaping hell or being with Jesus? Well, being with Jesus, but escaping hell is good. And I guess it depends on where you are in your spiritual maturity. It, if the only reason you evangelize is so, so people don't go to hell, praise God for that. But if you're like that spiritual father who knows him, who is from the beginning, who knows the father, and you want to introduce people to the father, that's what Jesus said in John chapter 17. I, I have, let's look at it, John 17. This is what discipleship is. When Jesus says in verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. The work that, that the Father had given the Son to do is to make disciples. And look at verse 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal that they might know, know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So notice what that says. The definition of eternal life is not escaping hell. The definition of eternal life is knowing the Father. Can I say that? Do you all see how important what I just said is? You didn't look nearly impressed enough with me when I said that. This is so important that we get this. The definition of eternal life is not escaping hell. Eternal life is knowing the Father. Why? What's the difference? Well, eternal life is life with the Father. Eternal death is life without the Father. Life without the Father? You're going to live somewhere forever. Heaven or hell. Heaven or hell. The reason hell is so bad is because God is not there. Remember, all goodness comes from God. Everything that's good comes from God. Hell is as bad as it is because there is no goodness there. Only evil. Only suffering. Only wrath. Only torment. 
if we really believe this, folks, we've got to tell somebody. We've got to be a witness to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's our hope. We can't be apostles, but we can be disciples. And a disciple is a witness of the resurrection. But please never miss this. There can be no resurrection without the cross. No cross, no resurrection. And remember what Jesus Christ went through on the cross. They, they did a song. It's called The Power of the Cross. And I, I think either Maureen sings it or a choir has done it. Um, but they had, they had a, a hammer hitting a spike while they were singing that The Power of the Cross. And that sound of the hammer while that was being done, it was so moving to me. And, and I realized, I remember when I was a young man, so I knew I was supposed to be a preacher when I was you guys' age, when I was in high school. And I've got some notes of a sermon that I wrote from Mark chapter 9 when I was ninth or 10th grade. And I made a note somewhere to whenever I preach to always mention the cross as a, as a, when I was you guys' age. I said that. And I realized during that song when I was hearing that, that hammer hitting, that, that sound of the hammer hitting the spike, being driven through the flesh of Jesus Christ, that I had neglected the cross. What did Paul say? I won't glory in anything but in the cross of Christ. Why? Because he did that for us. That's our freedom. That's our liberty. That's where, where our sin was paid for. One of the mistakes that a bunch of the preachers made this week, they kept talking about, there's no sin that Jesus' blood cannot cover. Wrong. There's no sin that Jesus' blood can't wash away. There's no sin that Jesus' blood can't cleanse. But where did Jesus shed that blood? He shed that blood on the cross. We need to remember, we need to be thinking about the cross every day. You can't live the resurrection life without dying to the flesh. What did Jesus say? What, what was the requirement to be a disciple? Take up my cross and follow me. So we as disciples, they had to be a witness of the cross. They had to be a witness of the resurrection. And we are to be a witness to the cross and a witness to the resurrection. I can't be an apostle, but I can be a witness. You might not be able to be a preacher like this, but you can be a witness. You might not be able to sing like these ladies did, but you can be a witness. You can tell someone about Jesus Christ. We have to tell them. We, we must give money to missions. Amen? We've got to give sacrificially to missions. But isn't it kind of hypocritical to just give our money and not actually tell anybody? Amen? I know it's hard to say amen because you don't want to tell somebody. And I'm not scolding you. I'm not scolding you at all because I don't really want to tell people either. I wish I had that gift of evangelism. Have you ever heard somebody talk about that? Well, that's somebody that's a vocational church planter. We, we might not have the gift of evangelism, but we have the command to evangelize. And we are to obey that command. The disciples a witness of the resurrection. But what are some lessons that we can learn from the apostles? What are some lessons that we can learn? Well, first of all, we all fail. Anybody here ever... You, you, you feel like you have failed in your Christian life at some point? Yeah, welcome to the club. 
And if the apostles that, that were with Jesus and saw him come in and out, they all fled when Jesus went to the cross except for John. All of them. One of them, two of them denied Jesus. One of them betrayed Christ. The other denied Christ. How about Peter? And yet, who is this that's standing up and talking to us right here in this text? It's Peter. We all fail. They did. All but John forsook Jesus. But I love this. When you do fail, and when you fall, what should you do? Run to Jesus. Do you remember? Jesus Christ has been crucified. Peter has denied Christ. And what did he say? I go a-fishing. So all of you guys who fish, you're denying Jesus. <laughs> How many of you are thankful that you're not denying Jesus when you go fishing? But we are supposed to be fishers of men. But what did Peter do? He said, I go fishing. And not only did he go fishing, he took his clothes off to do it. He was naked in the boat. Often you hear preachers say, picture this. Don't picture that. <laughs> He's in the boat fishing. And all of a sudden, he hears... Brethren, have you any meat? And someone says, look, it's the Lord. So what does Peter do? He girds himself, puts his clothes on real fast, jumps in the water. And I don't know if he tried to be on top of the water. He had done that before, right? He jumps in the water and he ran to Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He restored him. He loved him. As a disciple, when you fall, when you fail, and you will, what should you do? Run to Jesus. When someone else that you love, that you've respected, that you've looked up to, that you've ministered to with, when they reject Christ, when, when it's someone like Judas that they had they had ministered with, they had lived with, they had suffered with, they had preached with, and he ultimately betrayed and denied Jesus and didn't come back. What should you do? Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. That's what we have to do. That's the only thing that we can do. You know the other picture of that that I loved? Remember the prodigal son? When he came to himself, He'd, been, he'd wasted his substance on riotous living. He's eating what the pigs eat. And he says, the servants in my father's house live better than this. I'll go to my father. And I'll, I'll, he had this whole speech made up. I'm not worthy to be counted your son. He wasn't able to get the speech out. Why? Because when his father saw him afar off, this, this just about makes me cry. His father ran to him. Do you know what happens when you run to Jesus? Jesus runs to you. But listen, he won't come find you and drag you out of the pig pen. Even as a believer, we have to repent when we fall. At some point, we have to say, Lord, I'm going the wrong direction. I'm wrong on this. And do you know what happens? When, sometimes we'll have a friend that messes up and, and because we're not forgiving, we hold it over his head. Jesus will never do that to you. He, he washes it away, but, but he doesn't take it away until you repent. And when you fall, when you fail, 
run to Jesus and he will run to you. Times like this, I wish I was a better preacher. I wish that you that I could communicate how significant what I just said is. Lessons from the disciples. We all fail. When you fall, run to Jesus. And then, when one like Judas falls completely, here's the cool thing. Another will arise. Remember Elijah? He's at the point of suicide. I'm the only one, he's telling God. And what does God say to him? Well, there's 7,000 in Israel that haven't bowed the knee. Sometimes we start to feel like we're alone in the world. I was just with... I was with 10,000 people in Asia. Some of them from countries where it's against the law to preach the gospel. When we think that things are going bad in the world, that what, look, at, look at Revelation chapter 5. Verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of, look at this, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts, and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Do you see the cross? Do you see it? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Folks, there's going to be people from everywhere in the world. You are not alone in this Christianity. When one falls, another will rise up. And what a wonderful thing it would be if you were the one that helped that one rise up. That you didn't get your eyes on the one that fell. That you didn't put your eyes on the one that walked away. John said they went out from us because they were not of us. But there are some that are of us. And we can invite more in. I can't be an apostle, but I can be a witness. Folks, we have a job to do. And we're we're raising up an army in Sydney, Ohio. Young people, I would love it if some of you would say, you know what, I'm going to be a preacher. And you know, I, I feel like I have let you guys down. Because you might say, I can't do what you do. You don't have to be me. You have to be you. God created you to serve him in a way that I could never do it. Some of you are good at small talk. I think in one way that I've let you guys down is because, this is going to sound like humble bragging, it's not. God gave me a good memory. I'm able to speak in a, in a certain way because of the memory God gave me. You don't have to have that memory to be a powerful preacher of the Word of God. 
All you have to do is have a surrendered life. You need to pray and ask if God wants you to be a minister of the gospel. You young ladies, preachers need wives. You might need to be here and teach a Sunday school class or disciple another person. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan. We can be witnesses. When I watched what these people go through around the world just this past week, and I'm reminded, I don't want to scold you because you can only live the life that God has given you. Amen? When I was in Africa, there was a group from uh, Crown College that went with us. And one of the young men, we were going home, and he said, I feel guilty about the life that God's given me in the United States because these people lived in such terrible poverty. And I said, don't feel guilty, feel blessed. So I'm not guilting you about the blessings that God has given you. But one of the bad parts, it's been said, what the lions of Rome could not do to the early church, prosperity has done to us. We get so wrapped up with our next purchase or our bills or our finances and our careers, and we forget that we are to be witnesses. We are to be witnesses. When one falls completely, another will rise. I wrote this down. Though none go with me, what's it say? Still. Though none go with me, still. No turning back. No turning back. How many of you have decided to follow Jesus? You know, part of that is being a witness. Don Sisk, I pointed him out to you that he was the president of BIMI. He asked us three questions in his sermon. He said, what are you doing to fulfill the Great Commission? Isn't that a good question? Ask yourself that. What what am I doing to fulfill the Great Commission? Number two, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to do to fulfill the Great Commission? Number three, what are you waiting for? Aren't those three simple questions that are vital? Um, Is Justin in here? Is he downstairs today? He's upstairs. Somebody remind me. We need to get those three questions on a card and hand it out to everybody. And maybe we can all get tattoos. What do you think? With that on it. This preacher from Texas, he was talking about Oklahoma. Jeremy, he was talking about Oklahoma. And he was talking about how there's no pretty girls in Oklahoma. He said, if you meet a guy from Oklahoma with a pretty girl on his arm, it's a tattoo. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> and it went up just, hey, I married a girl from Oklahoma. I was expecting him to say, well, she's not pretty. But it was so funny. Um, so don't get a tattoo of this. But what are you doing to fulfill the Great Commission? What are you willing to do? And what are you waiting for? Justin, I need a card with those three things on it. Let's all stand together. You know, I grew up around preaching, and much of it very helpful. But often... The preaching was designed to 
guilt you into doing something. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? And I have done that over the years to you guys. And, you know, Lord willing, I've not done that in years, but I've done that. And uh, I said to Dave McCracken one time that, that this preacher that I was listening to was, uh, I was really getting convicted because he was talking about making people feel guilty. And Brother Dave said, he's making you guilty for making people feel guilty. You can't challenge people with the truth without there being guilt in people that are not obeying the truth. Can I say that again? You can't challenge people with the truth without causing guilt feelings in people who are not being obedient to the truth. But for the believer, guilt is never supposed to be a part of our lives. Conviction is where the Holy Spirit challenges us about places where we fall short of what he wants us to do. Guilt comes from Satan. Guilt comes from the enemy. There, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There is conviction in the life of the believer. But guilt feelings, that's what conviction feels like to us when we're not doing right. And in this area of evangelism, in this area of being a witness, who, who will be honest today and say you felt a little bit of guilt today? Would you raise your hand? I'm feeling it as I'm saying it to you. So the question is, what are we going to do about it? Is that a good question? What are we going to do? It's very simple. There's gospel tracts out here on the, on the tables. Take a gospel tract with you. And if it's a struggle for you to talk to somebody, say, hey, let me, let me give you this to read. Let me give you this to read. Sydney and our surrounding area, it needs to be, it needs to be inundated with gospel tracts. And pray that God opens doors as you give those tracts to talk to people about the gospel. And one of the reasons we have discipleship is so that you are better prepared to talk to people about the gospel. But I will say this. We have a lot of people that have taken in a lot of information, taken a lot of information. And one of the preachers talked about putting out two five-gallon buckets with sponges. And the, the, the teaching that you get every week is, is just filling up that bucket but what we're supposed to do is supposed to take that sponge out and wring it out in ministry and put it back in to be filled again. And then take it out and wring it out and fill it back up to be used again. Then you have this other bucket that never gets used. What happens, ladies, when you leave a sponge in a bucket for too long? It rots and it festers and it swells. What knowledge, what? Puffeth up. And it swells and becomes, it falls apart and becomes absolutely useless. And I'm afraid we've got a lot of Christians at Grace Baptist Church that are swelling up so much that they become useless for God's work. Let's, let's wring ourselves out in ministry.